Right, good morning everybody. It's nice to see you. Um, the passage I've been given to preach on is we're in Genesis. Um, we're still in Genesis. So we were reading chapter 13 uh, last week when um, Abraham and Lot divided and went into different parts of the land. And I'm now picking it up in chapter 14. So we're going to be reading Genesis chapter 14 from verses 1 to 16. So that's 14, Genesis 14, 1 to 16. And this is Abraham rescues Lot. And there are quite a lot of difficult words in this, but I will do my best. So, at the time when Amraphel was king of Shinar, Arioch king of Elisar, Kedalamer king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim. These kings went to war against Berar, king of Sodom, Bishar, king of Gomorrah, Sinab, king of Admar, Shemeba, king of Zeboim, and, and the king of Bala, that is Zoar. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is the Dead Sea Valley. For 12 years they had been subject to Kedolema, but in the 13th year they rebelled. In the 14th year, Kedolema and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Zephites in Ashtaroth, the Carnaim and the Zuzites in Ham, the Imites and the Shevetiram, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as the Alparan near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites as well as the Amorites who were living in Hezazon Tamar. And the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adamar, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bala, that is Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Kuradolam, the king of Elam, Tidel, the king of Goim, Amraphel, the king of Sinar, and Arioch, the king of Elazar four kings against five. And now the valley of Sidon was full of tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them and the rest fled into the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. A man who had escaped and came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now, Abraham was living near the great trees of um, Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Anna, all of whom were allied with Abraham. When Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abraham divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, he routed them, and um, pursued them as far as Hobar, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and all the other people. So there's a lot going on in that passage, and I'm indebted to a blog written by a guy called David McLemore, which is called Things of the Sort, where he writes about, about biblical 
um, and Christian things. And he did a really good summary of what is actually going on here, because I had to read it several times to get my head around exactly what was going on. And he came up with some really interesting facts about this passage. So Genesis 14 is the first, de is the first depiction of a war in the Bible. It's a big one. It's international in scope. And it has four against five. The four made up the coalition from the east. And for 12 years, five kings from the west paid tribute to the eastern kings. But then they decided that those days were over and it was rebellion time. The rebellion only makes the pages of the Bible because of Lot's presence in Sodom. And he moved from the outskirts of the city to the center sometime between chapters 13 and 14. And when the rebellion came, Lot was taken captive. And then Abram had a choice to make. He could intervene or he could let Lot go. And he chooses to intervene, and a choice that proves his valour and leads to his blessing. And you remember that when Kumbalani preached on chapter 13 last week, he was explaining that Abram had been slightly disobedient to God by taking Lot with him. He was told to leave his family and go, whereas in fact, he took Lot with him. So there was a slight, kind of done pretty much what God said, but not quite. And when we do pretty much what God says, but not quite, things do tend to go slightly wrong. So and that is what has happened here. So um, yeah, so that's, the, that's kind of where to kind of place this is, you know, we've, we've, he's trying to do what God has said. He's not got it quite right. And now things have gone slightly wrong. But now if this is a chance to rectify things. So Lot chose in Genesis 13, as Kumblali preached last week, to take the valley when they divided, when they divided and they went into the different bits of the land. He chose the valley near the city of Sodom because he saw the promise it held. You know, it looked fertile. It looked to be the best land. So he went for that. And he moved away from God's promised land to live among sinners. So it's not a surprise then that a chapter later, we find that Lot has got himself into deep trouble. And in the midst of this war, he and his family have been taken captive. And a writer called Kent Hughes captures the tra tragedy that Lot faced. Lot and everything he possessed was carted off to who knows where, possibly Turkey. A lot of awful things would have happened in, the, in which was the traditional wake of an ancient victory. Terrible things would have happened to the people. Perhaps he had lost children and loved ones. Perhaps a daughter was now a prize of some Hittite. And as he dragged, drudged through the Transjordan towards Canaan's borders, all his hopes were dead. And as Lot's hopes died, Abram sat far away, uninvolved. And then a captured man escaped and ran Abram's way and told him what was happening. And Abram had a choice. He could have thought, well, you know, Lot got himself into this mess. He moved over there. Should have stayed out of that city. It's a terrible place. We know it's a terrible place. I love him. But I'm God's chosen man to bring blessing to the world. I can't risk my neck in this war. Besides, I'm a shepherd and I'm a wanderer. I'm not a soldier. But Abraham didn't think that. 
Verse 14 says, when Abraham heard that his kinsman had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born of his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dam. The Hebrew language captures what our English translations can't. It actually says, Abraham drew him out. So more than leading forth the trained men, he drew them out as you would draw a sword from its sheath. These men were not merely drafted, they were motivated. Abraham wasn't a reluctant leader. He was like a William Wallace character. <laughs> Putting the heart in the men and preparing them for battle. Abraham the wanderer became Abraham the general. And Abraham risked his life for his nephew Lot. He knew the choices Lot had made and he pursued him anyway. And his pursuit was successful, bringing them all back. And Lot was restored thanks to Abraham's valor. Is this starting to remind you of anybody? We dare not miss the significance of Abraham's success in these verses. The alliance of Elam, Shinar, Elazar, and Gollum was easily plundered by many peoples and the confederations of the five cities in the Valley of Sidon. However, they could not thwart Abram and his comparatively smaller force. And the Lord is clearly on Abram's side, which will be confirmed later in the passage and in the sermon next week by Melchizedek's blessing. For an ancient Semite, this narrative would have demonstrated what a covenant-keeping nation could expect when attacked. Incursions by pagan armies were somewhat common throughout Israel's history, and there are other examples that you can, you can look up. But the people could expect victory if they kept covenant, if they kept their agreement with the Lord, and fight on the side of the Lord's chosen king. And there are examples in Deuteronomy, in 1 Samuel, in 2 Kings, of other battles where that was the case. God's faithfulness to Abraham provided evidence to Moses' audience, remember Moses is the author of this, of this book, that his promise of victory was trustworthy to those who lovingly served him. And in like fashion, this narrative encourages in our struggles as well. Today, the Israel of God, which is us, those who have come to Christian faith, suffer assaults from the kingdom of darkness. But when we arm ourselves with the weapons of spiritual warfare in obedience to King Jesus, we can be assured that the final victory is ours. May we always fight as loyal soldiers in God's army. So what is it about this story that makes it Bible worthy? I, was, I went for coffee with Dave Brown last week and one of the things we were talking about is there's an awful lot of history of around the time of the Bible that isn't contained in the Bible. If you, if you just think about the Gospels, we don't get a minute-by-minute minute narrative of Jesus' life. There are loads of bits that we don't get. So the bits that are in there are in there for a reason. God had them in there for us to know. So, so it's always worth asking, Lord, why is this in here? What is the, what is the point of it? What makes it Bible-worthy? It's a long-forgotten war. Abraham was successful. Lot didn't die, but it shows us more than the mere facts about war. It points beyond itself. 
Abraham's actions point to another greater, braver one. Abraham rescued Lot the way Jesus rescues us. As the knowledge of our plight rises to heaven, Jesus doesn't just sit there. He doesn't sit still. He springs into action to save and redeem. And he's doing that continually for us all the time. At Calvary, it was a risk. It was painful. Jesus not only could have died, like Abraham in the battle, he did die. And he knew it was certain death. As far as Abraham went, Jesus went further still. And this story is here because it shows us the heart of Christ. When we get into trouble, we have somebody better than a brave uncle. We have the saviour of the world, Jesus Christ, the mighty one on our side. God is our rescuer. Jesus is our rescuer. It says in 2 Peter 1, 9, um, 2, 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under, pun under punishment until the day of judgment. In Colossians 1.13, it says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. The prophet Ezekiel, in chapter 34 of his book, um, in verses 11 to 12, says, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he, is among the, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I was reminded also of the first part of um, Psalm 22, which Jesus quotes on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the cries of my anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By day, by night, but I find no rest. Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. So Abraham put his trust in God. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. And I was reminded also of a story. I'm a fan of the author Adrian Plass and I've got a lot of his books. And I remembered this story. And then when I was this week when I was writing this, I could not find it. So what follows is my remembrance of this story, which might not be entirely accurate. So Adrian Plass is an author. And he was at home with his son and he'd got some writing to do. And his son, Matthew, was about six. Uh, they, his wife and their other children had gone out. So he was kind of in charge of Matthew. But he also wanted a bit of alone time. He wanted to get some writing done. So he got some good music. He was up in his office, which is in the attic of the house. And he got some good music on. He got some good coffee. Everything was in the zone. He was starting to get some good words flowing because when you write, sometimes they flow and sometimes they don't. And he was in a really good place. And then he heard a little crash downstairs. And then this voice went, Daddy, Daddy, I need you, Daddy. Daddy needs you. And he went, oh. 
I've just got settled and I'm just doing what, I'm just having some peace. Why can't you just not, you know, mess everything up? Why can't you just, you know, just, just give me some peace? Why do I have to come as he got up and was drudging down the stairs? But why have I got to just get up and come and sort out all your mess? And as he's saying this in his head, God says to him, I did. And that kind of, I remembered that story and that struck me. And I thought about all the times in my own life when I've got it a bit wrong. I've gone off and done my own thing um, and I'm, I'm busy doing it and, and, and going off and going on the right one. And, and God, in hindsight, is going to be giving me all sorts of signals that I'm not doing the right thing, but I'm ignoring them. And in the end, I can almost feel, and although this might be, it might be slightly reverent, but I can almost feel Jesus sort of, you know, sighing and going, oh, I've got to go and sort Emma out again. But he always does. And that's the point. He is our rescuer. He loves us so much that he will, if we turn to him, he will rescue us. So if there's anybody here this morning who feels like they're walking away from God and they've gone on their own path, or maybe that you've never, you've, you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior before, he is a rescuer. He wants you. He's the shepherd that will leave the 99 to go and rescue the wandering sheep and bring you back safely home. That's what he wants to do. And I've just got some final thoughts that I pulled out on the, on the passage that I just want to, to sort of bring this to a, a close, but I just want us to, to think about that. Whenever, like Lot, we step out of God's will, we can lose his protection, and we cannot expect that the choices that we make when we're in that place will be for our lasting good. We must never take advantage of others because of our selfish interest, like Lot did in chapter 13 when he went for what appeared to be the best land. He took advantage of Abraham, and then he ended up losing all of his possessions in, in one day. Friendship with the world is enmity with God, and Lot was a sojourner among the Sodomites, and that, that, therefore he shared in their punishments and sufferings. And we need to see, show concern for our brothers and sisters when they're in trouble. And Abraham acted immediately to rescue his nephew Lot from his captors. We should always be prepared to fight the good fight of faith. Abraham was battle ready and he was no stranger to military strategies. We must show true love to one another. Abraham's affection for Lot was his chief motive as he readily risked his life for his nephew. And when we walk in God's covenant, we will suffer no permanent loss. Nothing we've lost in this life, particularly if we've lost it for him, will be permanently lost. It will all be restored in good time. Abraham recovered everything that he'd lost. God rescues us from damnation and took all the spoils from the enemy just as Abraham did for Lot. When God does something great through us, we should not take the credit because it was never your might or your power or your creativity that brought about the victory. 
it was always God's power working through you. Give him the glory and give him the praise. The king of Sodom was trying to take the place of God and bring discredit to the name of God through a sly trick. But Abraham saw right through it and he abandoned his rights and chose instead to serve God. As it says in Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he, has, he God, has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That isn't spoken to the unsaved, that's spoken to the church. Our eyes need to be opened and enlightened so that we can see more of the hope that God has. When Abraham went out into that battle, he could already see the victory that he would have because he knew he was doing what God had asked him to do. So we need to ask for God to open our eyes. When we feel that he's asking us to do things, ask him to open your eyes as to why, as to what is going to happen. So Abraham, Abraham faced war in chapter 14, and with God's help, he came through victoriously. He defeated the enemies and conquered temptation. And why? Because in, those, in that situation, he trusted and relied on God. So whether you are facing a physical threat or a spiritual battle, our approach should be the same. To trust in God and rely on him for strength, and he will give us the wisdom to make it through. Amen.